Tripp says that where you look for all will shape the direction of your life. Where you look for all will shape the direction of your life. We're all created with this, we're all created for all, and so we have this capacity for all that God has given us, and it's designed that our all would be of God. But, but because of sin, we have this misplaced awe, as Paul Tripp calls it. And, and, but but wherever, wherever our awe is directed, that has an effect on our lives. And so tonight, we're going to skip ahead. We're, 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 we'll finish this, um, this book in a, in a few weeks, and so we're, we're clearly not going to cover every chapter. And, but we're, we're looking at, the, in, at chapter 11 tonight on the church. And and so the the connection with just how it fits within the book is that uh, is, is that the church is going to be defect, uh, affected by either a God directed awe or misplaced uh, misdirected awe. So we could say this: that where we look for awe together as a church will shape the direction of our church. And that's what we'll see as we look through this tonight. But before we really look in the scriptures or talk more about uh, the book itself. I, I, I just want to get get our get us kind of thinking about this and seeing the connection. And so, I, so if you could just picture two different churches, two ter- two churches, same city, same kind of situation in terms of circumstances and area and kind of makeup of the churches. But one one church, Church A, is is has this growing. Uh, there's this growth together in the awe of God. This is a very vertically, vertical church, very vertically oriented church, and and pursuing the Lord and 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 God's glory is the kind of the the heartbeat of that church and pursuing Him and loving Him and being devoted to Him and obeying Him. And then Church B is is uh, has a growing awe of self or awe of stuff, uh, something other than God. Um, and so it's self-oriented or worldly-minded. So I uh, just keep keep those realities. I don't mean pagan, raw pagan. I'm just saying just a, a church like ours, but is but is inclined to oriented to more towards self. So if you could describe those two churches, so what would it? Let me just think first. Let's take Church B, the one that's more oriented to self and more worldly-minded. What would it what would it be like? be part of a church like that? What does that kind of church look like and feel like? And how is, how is the preaching and how are relationships and worship and, and evangelism and, and children's ministry and counseling and all the facets of church life? How would it be, what would it look like, what would it feel like if, if the church is increasingly oriented to self? Just give me some thoughts. Comfortable, okay. That's kind of probably going to be the objective. It's, it's good. Okay, so really ambitious about a numerical growth, maybe perhaps for the appearance or wanting to kind of, okay, be the place in town. All right, what else? Okay, okay, real strong. Lots of stuff to do, lots of stuff to stay busy for all the different people. Okay, bam. Okay, so doctrine kind of minimize or compromise anything that might be kind of offensive in some way. All right. Uh, Susanna. Okay, just uh, kind of a low, uh, keep, keep kind of safe distance from people. And accountability is not really something that's probably sought or, or uh, really done because 
It's not comfortable to have people aware of struggles in life. And I, okay, so you could be, they could be active in doing service, but may not really be fueled by that, uh, really desire to see lives changed by the gospel. Okay. 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 All right. Well, let's let's describe Church A now. What would it what would it be like to be a church? And I'm not saying we're not that, but may we continue to be increasingly this. But what would it be like to be a church that's really just pulsating with with the glory of God and a, and and a gaze and running hard after Him? What 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 kind of characteristics would that church have? How would how would it feel like to be a part of that church, Dan? Okay. Okay, so it would it would stand out in the within the community and there were, people would notice. Good. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. It's more heaven minded in a right way and long long view. Good. What else? Okay. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Very good. What else? Deeper relationships. Okay, yeah, so some more meaningful relationships and depth of kind of body life and community in the church. Good. Okay, the Word will be... Will be Central in what we do, You're hearing from God. If God's at the center, His voice is what we're going to be listening to. Absolutely, what we're going to say, Ron. Okay, so the 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 what we the emphasis of family is almost the church really takes on that role in that place of those closest of relationships. Good. All right. Well, I mean, not that our evaluation is not the important thing, but what I, I just want to try to illustrate is that how we view God and how, how uh, we're, even as we're talking about this, this, this how, what our, where our awe is directed does have an effect, not just individually on the individual, our lives and the situations that we're walking through, that, though it does, but it has an effect corporately as we, as together we, where our gaze is directed and what, who we're looking to. And so that's, that's, that's my simple point. Turn to Acts chapter 2 and we get a, we get a glimpse of what this looked like at a very different time in, in, the, in the church at its infancy. Acts chapter 2. Um, and, and, and we get to see a church who certainly has their all directed toward the Lord. Acts 2, verse 42, and I'm not going to be able to comment much. This is not where we're going to be lingering tonight. I just use this as an illustration. Acts 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this is right after Pentecost. All these new baby believers folded in and have the Spirit, have a church now. And so this baby, baby church. And so you have all these believers together devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now that word awe, I'm not, this passage did come to mind. This is how the ESV translates. It's really the word fear. It's phobos. That's the Greek word here. But but still, there's this this fear of God, this God orientation, God directed, uh, uh, oriented church here. But this awe, this sense of God and reverence and awe of God, fear of God came upon every soul, many wonders and signs being done to the apostles. And, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so, again, I, I know this is a very unique time. And, and this is, this is a, a time that's not replicated and cannot. And honestly, we wouldn't want to be duplicated I know people say, man, if we could just go back and be like the church in Acts. And I'm saying, I hope not. <laughs> we have it so much better than they did. And God, we have, we have this. We have the c- completed scriptures. And, and, and so we have the benefit of uh, just the, through the history of the church and not all the, that God has done and all the ways he's worked. And so, um, but, so we don't see the signs and the wonders here, but that but we can be increasingly gripped by the awe of God, and that that hasn't changed. That God centeredness, that God orientation, should have a profound effect on on the life of our church, just as it did in, for these earliest believers. Well, as I said, we're in chapter eleven, and it's on the church, and so what he's doing is in this chapter, he's showing the difference that. This awe that we've been talking about, awe of God, makes makes in a church. How we view the church, how the church functions. And so that's that's what he walks through. Toward, toward the end of the chapter, uh, this quote is on the screen, will be on the screen. Toward the end of the chapter, he, he concludes, um, it's not very end, but it's on page 155. He says that if your heart is being progressively captured by the awe of God, His work, His grace, and His kingdom, things that are above... You will see your church not just as a place you attend, but as a major commitment of your life. And you will live with a ministry lifestyle in the place where God has put you. When all of God has captured your heart, ministry will fill your schedule. You won't need the church to schedule ministry for you. For you will approach work, marriage, parenting, extended family, friendships, and community with a ministry mentality. All of God will free you from thinking of your life as belonging to you at a ministry as temporarily offering pieces of your life to God that you will quickly take back as an episode of ministry ends. So I just, he's, his, what he's laboring to point out is that in a very fundamental level, how we view God, how, how, our, how we're oriented to Him is, and, and where our awe is directed is going to have a big effect on how we think about and relate to uh, the church. And so he, he looks in Colossians 3. We're going to look at a different passage, but he looks at Colossians 3 to show the difference that all makes in a church. And so there in Colossians 3 and verses 12 and following there, this is you have this, this exhortation of Paul to be this kind of church, to be a holy, compassionate, humble, patient, forbearing, forgiving, loving, peacemaking, thankful, Bible-centered, teaching, admonishing, uh, singing, God-glorifying church. This is the this is how Paul's exhorting him, and and so the point 
Tripp's making is that is only possible if those words at the very beginning of Colossians 3 are true of you. If, if you've, if to the, it's only possible to the extent that we set our mind and, and seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. And so we've got to, that's got to be in place. But if we're going, if those things are going to be true of us, and but it makes this radical difference. But if our awe is misplaced, if our minds are set on things of this earth, we will we will simply see church as kind of a well. Besides all of the the problems that brings in personal lives and in the context of the church, the church will just be kind of an add-on. That's what the quote we I read from him a moment ago. It will be we'll see that as just kind of a passive relationship that we have to this group. It's just this. It's, it's a weekly duty. It's a place where we go and do a little bit of programmed ministry every once in a while and then go on with our normal lives, with our real lives. We won't see it as this vital, meaningful family that we, we, are, we are inseparably connected to. And we see all of life through that lens of, of mission and, and ministry that God has intended for the church. And so I, I just thinking is in our own immediate context as we're walking through this longer range uh, planning process of what we call Vision 2020 and, and the very ambitious goals that we're setting as a church and seeking God to, to help us with. But again, that's the, the, that all has to be done not just with us making our plans to, to kind of, uh, you know, work a little harder and give a little extra time and the, the the goal of this is that our that our church becomes more aligned with God's mission of making disciples. That's that's everything. Every goal needs to contribute to that end. That we're more more engaged in in Christ's mission, making disciples of all nations and around the world and in our own community uh, to His glory. And and so, but it, but for that to happen, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to see the church differently. We're gonna have to be increasingly. Um, uh, convicted that that the church is more than just again a place we go in and retreat back it's it's got to be a more meaningful part of our lives and increasingly so 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 throughout Paul's letters uh, the apostle Paul uh, directs the church's gaze upward we see this in so many places but one place we see it very clearly is in the letter in his letter to the Ephesians and that's where we're going to look for a few minutes tonight here um, Ephesians we and we see it particularly in Paul's prayers for the Ephesian believers and the two that are there in this letter. And so we'll look at, I think we'll probably just have time to look at the first of those prayers. We may read the second or part of it anyway, that doxology in chapter 3. But in Ephesians chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 15. And So Paul says, for this reason, and obviously we have to take in the context of where he's, what he's just said. So you know the, how Ephesians begins in verses 3 to 14, this magnificent one long run-on sentence just describing the work of God's sovereign grace and redeeming people for himself. And so that work that began in eternity past and, and carries forward and to the extent where all believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and so that for this reason, because of God's sovereign grace and also because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give Thanks for you. Not just I give thanks for you because of those things, but I, I don't cease. I, 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 quitting is not an option when it comes to thankfulness for, for, um, for, for the work that God is doing among you. So I, I don't cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, 
that, and now we see the substance of what Paul's praying for them, that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You think Paul wants their... All directed to the Lord. It's very clear. So let's just, we're just going to walk through these petitions and I'm just going to make some statements about the all filled church. And so, first one, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. I just say this that the all filled church has a spirit given, growing, deepening knowledge of God, knowledge of Him. And I take, I think that a spirit here, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, there's, there's no definite article here in the Greek, but I think this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, not just the human spirit. This is not, it's not unusual that you, there are other places where the, the article's not present. And particularly I'm thinking 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16, where, where Paul says that the human spirit is unable to know God on his own, but, but it's only the Spirit of God that can reveal knowledge of, of Him and, and, that, and that kind of wisdom. And I think that's what Paul is praying here for them as well. Now, we know from earlier in chapter 1, they already have the Holy Spirit. They have the Spirit. They, uh, so, so they've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul has already said. So why would Paul pray to, to give, that God would give them what they already possess? They, they have the Spirit. They, they already know God. And here he's praying that, they'll, that the Spirit will, uh, will be given, or the, the Spirit will give them this knowledge of God. And so, what is, what is this about? Uh, I'd say they just need this deeper, this fuller awareness of what they already have. He's praying that the, the Spirit will give them this, this deeper wisdom and revelation to know God better. That the that the, the Holy Spirit will so work in their lives that, that they know God in a deeper, closer way. And I don't mean in some kind of mystical way where they just kind of get alone and, and just wait for God to, to show Himself in some more special way. But I also don't mean it in a purely academic way. It's not just informing their minds. What I think what He's praying is that the Spirit will so illumine His Word and impress already revealed truth deeper and deeper into their hearts and their convictions and their souls. I mean, that, 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 that the great truths of, that Paul has already laid out in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, those salvation truths, that, those, that, those, that, that, that the Spirit would just burst open their hearts to, 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 to know these truths better, to, to, to really know God, this God better. And so I think that's what he's saying. And, but, but the off-field church, there's going to be this longing and this this hungering and, and that God will be gracious to answer and give by His Spirit this deepened deepen knowledge of God. 
That will be a driving aim of an all-filled church. Second, second petition and related to the second statement here. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so I say this, the all-filled church has, has heart eyes that are flooded with light so that we can really see God. This is related to the first, but he's, he's saying it a little different here. He says the eyes of, eyes of your hearts. Now that's an that's a expression that's unique to Paul. There's no evidence that, that this is used anywhere else before him. He seems that he just made up this phrase, eyes of your heart, heart eyes. Um, but Paul, Paul wants their hearts. He wants their, their inner person, the core of who they are, to, to be enlightened so that they can really, really see from the inside. Really see things as they really are. There's a, there's a whole other world they need to see and it cannot be seen with natural eyes. And so, so what is it they really, what it, that they, that we really need to see? Paul says you need your heart, eyes flooded with light so that you may know that they might really know some things. And we'll walk through what those things are that he really desperately wants them to know. I say this, the, the all-filled church is, 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 is in touch with reality. He really knows these things. With the way things really are. With true truth. As we say. We desperately need our eyes of our heart enlightened. So that we can see what's real. Really real. We can see life. That this life is not all that there is. We can have that long view. That we can see ourselves as God sees us. That we can grasp the power that is working for our good. So we, we, we need God's help. We need His aid to see these things, to see reality. But, but the all-filled church, this, this is a growing. This is where we're increasingly seeing things as they really are. Seeing what's true. Seeing things as God sees them. Because with our natural eyes, we can't see those things. We, with our natural eyes, it seems at times as though God is inactive. And or it seems that this world is just out of control and the circumstances of our life they're just it's complete chaos and there is no order. It's just it's just it's out of control. It seems that life is futile. It seems like been abandoned at times. It seems like our sin will just never end. There will just never never be an end. So Paul but that's not reality. And so Paul prays for the Ephesian church and prays for us that really there's really, you really know some things. You really, you'll know reality. What is it they need to know? He says, what is the hope to which he has called you? They needed to know hope. Hope. So, I think this is fourth, maybe, uh, third, I don't know. What number I'm on. The all-filled church clings to the hope that their future with God is safe and secure clings to the hope that the future with God is safe and secure. Now, they already had hope, the Ephesian believers. That, that, that Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, again, in context, it made that very clear. That was, wasn't a shaky hope. It was a certain hope. But they, they needed to really take hold of and grasp and, and know this hope. Because Why? And you think about the context and there in Ephesus. The headlines in the Ephesian papers told a different story than what Paul is writing to them. It was persecution, it was suffering, it was opposition to the gospel. They were in a very difficult place, in a very difficult time. And it it didn't seem like um, there was a lot circumstantially to be hopeful about. 
But reality wasn't found in looking at circumstances. So, so she says, you need to know, you need to have this firmly grounded hope that God holds a future. They didn't need to simply know facts about their hope, but this, this is what heaven's like. I mean, that can be helpful information. That's fine, but they needed to know, they needed to take hold of it in their hearts that the hope that God had called them to. And that true for us. It's 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 we we do need to learn, we do need to understand, we do need to know the facts, but we also there's that there's that aspect of we gotta take hold of it and lay hold of it and let it be, become ours, become personal. This so the all filled church it, it has that. It has this growing hope, this this confidence in God and his his secure hold on the future and on of, of and on our lives. We, we, we have this increasing longing for what's to come. We have this longing for this inheritance that Peter says is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. We just have this increasing increasing awareness of that hope and, and confidence in God, clinging to that. So Paul prays that we would really, really, really know that hope and live in light of it. And then he says, secondly, we need, they needed to know what are the glorious, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And see this, the all-filled church, it rejoices in the fact that they are more valued by God than they feel, than they may feel. And the Ephesian church needed to know not just that they were God's glorious inheritance, but they needed to know the riches of it. He's very particular in how he in his in his wording here to get a to get a sense of the great value that God places on them, and this is the language here because the Ephesian church it probably didn't feel like God's glorious inheritance, opposition, suffering, and you and you think of the makeup of the Ephesian church. If you, you remember, this is a very diverse church, and most of these people came from uh, the the Gentile believers came from very pagan backgrounds and all kinds of sordid past and so these are not good people before they came to Christ and and they're not raised in the church first generation believers are not well mannered uh, kind of Christian clones that's not the picture of the Ephesian church and they're no doubt tempted to guilt and shame thinking of all their past and all the wasted years that they spent and and and, and uh, but but that's that's the devil's voice. That's not God's voice. That's not how God sees them. That may be how they feel, but that's not reality. So Paul's praying, you've got to know, you've got to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. You've got to know that you're more valued by God than you probably feel. Um, how We've got to see ourselves as God sees us. And the all-filled church, it increasingly does. We're more aligned with that. To, to see that God didn't grudgingly choose to redeem us. Oh, I guess so. No, he, he moved toward us. He eternally loved us. He set His heart on us. Nothing you or I can do can change that. He, and so if, I would just, there's application, obviously, even in how we relate to one another. If, if God so loves us, how should we relate to one another? And if God has chosen us in love, we should we possibly view one another with contempt um, and not value one another and 
Are there certain people that we maybe value more than others or less than others? See them, do we, or do we see them as God sees them? And uh, so, so this is it. The third thing Paul prays in verse 19. He prays that they'll know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ. Now Paul is just piling on words to describe the power of God here. He's just exhausting the Greek thesaurus here to, to just describe the strength and the might of, of God here. But here's the incredible thing, is that God's incredible power that He's laboring to describe, it's actually working toward us who believe. That's what He says. It's toward us who believe. So this is the next thing. The all-filled church, it grasps that God's incomparably, incomparably great power is working for our good. It's working for our good. He's not simply teaching believers, the Ephesian believers are teaching us about God's vast power but he's, he's convinced that this, this truth needs to be impressed on our hearts by His Spirit that we'll know this that we'll know this immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe and, and, and so this is why he's laboring an unceasing prayer for uh, this church and so as Paul unfolds this letter if you just we're able to sit down and read this letter, you'd see so many evidences of how God's power is at work in, in the church. You see that it gives, He gives the power to resist the power and influence of demonic spirits. He gives the power not to lose heart in the face of suffering. He gives the power to overcome ethnocentrism. And that was a big issue in the, in the Ephesian church and this Jewish Gentile and this divide and to, to be one with one another. Unity with those who are different from you in the church. He gives the power to develop patience and humility and gentleness. He gives power to have less and less self-centeredness, to to live lives that reflect reflect the sacrificial love of God um, for the benefit of others. He, He gives power to serve the body of Christ in accordance with our giftedness. The Spirit gives us. He gives power to get rid of ungodly practices, sexual immorality and greed and lying and anger and rage and and stealing and filthy talk and drunkenness. He gives a long list of those things. He gives power to develop um, godly, healthy, Christ-centered family relationships. So, so these, are all, these are all ways in which God's immeasur- the immeasurable greatness of His power is, is toward us in Christ. And so again, the off-field church it has an increasing awareness of, this, of the vastness of God's power. It's not, it has no anemic view that... Yeah, maybe God could do a little bit. Maybe He could work here. Or boy, it just seems so. The opposition seems so great. No, it's 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 just as we've been. It it, it fills us with courage. We were talking about men this week, and we looked in in Numbers 13 there, and the the 12 spies that go out and 10 come back and say, "Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it." Joshua and Caleb got this. God God has this. We we can do this. Our God is great, and there's a, that's a, a difference in, in how they're viewing God. That's, that's the dividing line. But the off-field church has this awareness of the power of God at work um, in us. And so, um, so then Paul elaborates on the powerful work of God in Christ, and we'll just be able to kind of just state these things. But what's exhibit A of God's power? It's the empty tomb. 
It's the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Verse 20, when he raised him from the dead, and, and, then, he, and then he goes on and seated him at, at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Christ rules over everything, over more than meets the eye, over every name that is named, over every supernatural enemy, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There's, there will never be a time that anything or anyone can threaten or rival the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's saying. He's far above, and he wants the Ephesian believers to know this, to see this. That's the kind of church Paul is praying that they'll be. That's the kind of church we need to be. We need to have this large, enormous view of God. We can't out, we can't uh, out uh, strip the greatness of God in our thoughts. We we can't go far enough. We will never see Him as large as He truly is. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he prays that the day that we might have our gaze fixed upon God, open eyes to see God as he is, to be in awe of him. We, we won't look at, at the other prayer in Ephesians three fourteen to 21. Maybe you can read that uh, later tonight if, if you as just a follow-up. I want to conclude with just a, a few statements and then we'll be done. I'm outlasting my time anyway. So, But as we swell, as we grow in our awe of God as a church, which I pray we do, uh, just, just some things. If this is true, if we continue to grow in this way, uh, I think a few things, a few applications. One, we won't give up. We, we won't give up. And this is what I mean. Uh, we, we won't stop expecting and looking for God to work here in our lives, in our body, in our community, around the world. Um, are, 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 you, are you praying like that? Are you praying and not losing heart? As, you, as, we, as I hope that you're continuing to use the, that, those goals and the, the kind of the vision that set forth for the church is just a guide to pray for the church. And are you praying and you're really asking God to, to do this? Or is there kind of a, is there, is there a little pessimism in your heart? And kind of some cynicism, and not pessimism, but cynicism in your heart, doubting God, doubting His ability. So, so to don't, we don't give up. We 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 continue, as Paul says to the Colossians, continuing steadfastly in prayer, watchful with thanksgiving. Second, as we swell and grow in awe of God, we won't think we have arrived or ever will arrive. We won't, we won't think like that. Paul wasn't praying that the Ephesians would just kind of hit another gear as a church and then just stay there. That's not, that's not, that's not it. It's just, just, just get there. Get, get on a different plateau and just kind of stay there. That's not it. He's praying that the, the trajectory of their church will be, will be more and more, uh, that they'll know God more and more and more and more. That they'll continually be growing in their grasp of the greatness of His power. They'll continue to be relying upon Him and seeing Him as He really is. And so this is, this is for us. We will never arrive. Um, third, we, we won't settle as we grow in our awe of God. We won't settle. We, we won't give in to the idea, even in our own lives, that this is how it will always be. If there's some besetting sin in your life and you've just kind of grown custom. Well, this is just how it is. This is how my family's going to be. This is how my life's going to be. This is how our church is going to be. 
No, we, we, won't, we won't give in to that. We won't, we won't content ourselves with that. Um, we, will, we will have, because our, our view of God is greater. Our view of God is greater. Fourth, as we grow in awe of God, we won't be loners. We won't, we won't be isolated. We talked about this. If a church has really fixed their gaze on God, there's going to be closeness of relationships, a, a dependence, a mutual interdependence upon one another. Um, uh, you, you don't, we won't think that we can grow spiritually or serve effectively or lead our families better um, apart from the church than with the church. We're going to be, we're going to be drawing closer to one another, as this is what Paul says to the Ephesians too. And then finally, we, we won't make the church a competitor. Um, Trip, I think, does a great job of, of, of applying uh, this there in Colossians 3, but we, we won't view the church as in competition to our personal life or our family life. We won't see the church as just this kind of isolated piece of the pie that's our life and a small piece and we go on Sundays or maybe we do Sunday mornings here, Sunday night, maybe Wednesday nights and and small group, we we go, we do, however big that piece is, and then and then we have the rest of our life that's real life. No, we we do away with those scenarios. We say, no, my life is my whole life is on mission, and the vehicle that God is accomplishing His mission is through the church. So all life is ministry, and and so it's not we just do ministry when we, you know, sign up for preschool. Which please sign up for preschool. That's that is ministry, but that's not the extent of it. We don't go do our little our little hour of service, and then go back on with our life. No, we see everything, every aspect of life as ministry. People say, I, I don't know of anything to do in the church. I don't know how to serve. I don't know if there's a place for me. I'm saying, there, it, 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 don't wait for the formal, the, the formal opportunities. I mean, those are fine. Take advantage of those, but there, and there are many of those, but you, you see somebody that's sitting by themselves, go sit by them. Go, ask them to go have coffee this week. If you, if you know somebody, if you see a prayer request come across, somebody's suffering, somebody's hurting, call them. Write them a note. That's ministry. That's, that's the stuff. If you have a neighbor that you don't know, go talk to them. Go introduce yourself. Have them over for a dinner. Um, uh, so so that, uh, just to see a life, we have, we'll have a different view of the church the more we, again, see God as he, as he rightly is, see Christ as he rightly is. Um, and our, our life will be more integrated and less segregated. Okay, I, it's 7.20. I'm blaming you guys because you talk too much when I ask for testimony, so it wasn't my fault, it's yours. Um, no, but it was, really, it was really helpful. Good to hear from both from the men that were in the retreat and, and uh, others just need to see how the Lord is, hear how the Lord is working. That's a, that's a great ministry that we have to one another. And... Uh, let me pray for us, and, and we will be dismissed. You feel free to linger longer. Father, thank you for um, thank you for this reminder, God. Thank you for this example of how Paul prays, prayed for this Ephesian church, God. And I pray that this would just inform even how we pray for our own church and pray for one another. That uh, we pray, God, for uh, that the eyes of our hearts indeed would be open to see to see reality, to to know the way things really are, to know how great and awesome and powerful you are, to know how your power is at work in us, to know the hope that we have. Um, and so I, I just pray that, and I pray that that, that um, larger view of you, that increasingly larger view, would, would affect how we 
relate to one another, how we serve alongside one another, how we look at our community, how we look at the world even. And so change us, God. Grow us uh, by your mercy uh, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.